0: Well, I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We are going to continue working our way through this small and beautiful epistle. Tonight, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. What I want to do, though, is... I want to start reading at Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. That's the sermon text we had last week. That's where the sermon text began last week. So we'll read through what we covered last week, and then we'll read through the verses for tonight. I would remind you that this is a letter to... Uh, The Philippians, written by Paul, but it's much more than that. Uh, This is uh, written by the inspiration of the Spirit, knowing that it would not only be for the Philippians, knowing that it will be for the church of all ages, that it would be for you here tonight. Uh, God knew all of these things. Uh, This is no ordinary word. This is God's word, inspired, inerrant, divine, it carries his attributes. It cannot fail. It is powerful. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we would come to you and we would ask for your help uh, this evening as we think about your word. Uh, Lord, you know Uh, that your word contains uh, the words of life. It contains everything that we need for faith and practice. Lord, we would ask that you would help us tonight. You know each individual need in this room. We pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we have come to you into your presence and gather at your feet to worship you, to learn of you. Lord, we want to follow you and we want to mirror you in our lives We would ask that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would conform us to the image of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. This passage is about peace, and I think we need peace. Is it just me, or does it seem like life is constantly filled with drama? It seems like, if you think about it, we go from one global crisis to the next, to the next, to the next. Uh, right now, uh, it's Ukraine. They're in need of peace. Well, we're still trying to recover from the pandemic. And you'll remember before that, there's, uh, there was Iran, there was North Korea. We were consumed with ISIS before that. It goes from one thing to another and to another And we're also constantly in some domestic upheaval as well. Again, it's one thing after another after another. Scandals, election drama, culture wars, riots, looting, protests, active shooters. Right now, they're uh, protesting in front of Supreme Court justices. It's just constant drama, week after week after week. And we might wish that that anxiety-inducing chaos would be confined to headlines, but it often comes much, much closer to home. From time to time, we are confronted with division in the church, aren't we? Uh, Disagreements, sometimes it's accusations of sin, uh, it's discipline matters, maybe it's an ecclesiastical trial, and so forth. And then there's the drama Of work and of school and drama at home in our families, financial problems, medical issues, attitudes, selfishness, anger, addiction, sin. Sin. And we're anxious. These are causes of anxiety. And so some of us can't sleep, some of us are having panic attacks. we need peace. Well, this passage we're going to consider again, it's about peace. You can see that in verses 7 and 9. We're going to talk about the peace of God. God wants you to experience peace even through the most challenging of life circumstances. And you'll learn that you can gain peace by following scripture's instructions. If you look At the last half of verse 9, you'll see that Paul says, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What are we supposed to do? What are are we supposed to practice? How can you have peace? Let's begin answering this question with our first heading, which is gain peace through conciliation. Gain peace through conciliation. Conciliation. We might just start with that, right? What is conciliation? Conciliation is the act of stopping someone from being angry. Uh, But it's also uh, the act of mediating between two disputing groups. Listen, it's the act of being a peacemaker. Of being a peacemaker. But making peace between two opposing parties isn't easy, is it? It's not because people need to have willingness and humility, wisdom, and a spirit of cooperation, a spirit of cooperation. There needs to be a heart. You see, it it comes down to the heart. There needs to be a heart that values and desires peace. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul pleaded. He pleaded with the Philippians to pursue unity and to stand firm in one spirit and one mind. you remember that? It was in Philippians 1, 27 and Philippians 2, 2 specifically. He wanted them to be unified. You see, news of their falling out had reached Paul in his Roman prison cell. And here in chapter 4, he begins to address three individuals in Philippi. Two of them are named and one is left unnamed. Beginning at verse 2, Paul writes, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers Whose names are written in the book of life. So Paul addresses Iodia and Syntyche here by name. So I would ask, who are these women? And what does Paul instruct them to do? Well, Iodia and Syntyche are Christians. We definitely know that. In the Bible, God uses the imagery of a great book or a ledger which contains the names of every person that will enter the kingdom of heaven. And our text says that Iodia and Syntyche's names are written in the book of life. So we at least know that about them. But these two godly ladies are also uh, warriors for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. In verse 3, Paul says that these women labored side by side with him in the gospel, and that phrase there, that phrase could be rendered fought side by side with me. You see, these women uh, were engaged in the battle for the gospel. And you'll notice in verse three that they labored along with a man named Clement as well as others. But what we aren't told is what the rift was between Eodia and Syntyche. But Paul does Call them out by name. And you see that he gives them direct instructions. He tells them to agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord. Uh, He literally tells them to think the same thing in the Lord. That's how that phrase is. Think the same thing in the Lord. He wants them to be of the same mind. Again, that is something we've already uh, been told by Paul as well. Be of one mind here he is he's he's calling them to that again he wants them to come together he wants them to have a spirit of cooperation he wants them to work with one another to concede but that isn't the only instructions that Paul gives look at verse 3 Paul says yes i also ask you or i ask you also true companion Help these women. Who is the you named here? Who is the unnamed companion? Well, it's again unknown, but Luke uh, was with Paul early in his Roman imprisonment. Could be him, but, but the letter doesn't ever mention him. Perhaps it was an elder at the Philippian church who was responsible to receive the letter and to care for the manuscript. We don't know. But what is certain is that this believer is instructed to come alongside and assist Iodia and Syntyche. Paul asks his companion to help mediate between these two disputing believers. He asks them, or him, to be a peacemaker. And the primary role of a peacemaker is to help people make decisions needed to bring about and restore peace. Uh, They may simply just need to facilitate communication and encourage both sides to listen carefully to one another. They might also need to ask clarifying questions to help the parties understand uh, each other more. But most importantly, the peacemaker must point people to the scriptures, to the scriptures which are the sole source of divine revelation, the only inspired, infallible, and authoritative norm for faith and practice. A peacemaker can try to bring people together, but the parties at odds must be sensible. They're going to have to be willing that's what Paul says in verse 5, isn't it? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Be sensible. Be reasonable. How about some humility? Gentleness. Be willing to listen carefully. Cooperate. Sometimes money can be uh, the source of conflict in a marriage. There uh, was a Christian couple who were at odds because one of the wife's family med, uh, members wanted to mo- borrow a pretty substantial amount of money, and the husband was against the idea. Uh, both of the parties had very valid arguments for their positions. But at the end of the day, it was in the husband's hands what would happen. And so this couple talked, and they talked, and they talked, and they talked. And as they talked, the husband could see the pain and the longing in his wife's heart to help her hurting family member But no loan was given. Instead, they gave this family member the money. They just gave it to them. You see, sometimes there isn't a right and a wrong, just the need for the willingness to concede and to offer love and to offer mercy and to be a help. Are you in need of peace? Are you willing to let go an offense? Are you willing to forgive? Are you willing to ask for forgiveness? Are you being reasonable, humble? Are you a peacemaker? Scripture says that peace can be found through conciliation. It's found when we let our reasonableness be made known and when we agree in the Lord. And our text says that you can gain peace through supplication. That's our second heading. Gain peace through supplication. In verse 4, Paul writes rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You got to watch out when Paul uses this phrase. This is the fourth time Paul has instructed the Philippians to rejoice. He reminds them to rejoice at the beginning and at the end of certain sections when he's addressing them about challenges that they're going to face. At this time, it's in connection to resolving internal conflict. Uh, When when you're dealing with trials, uh, when you're going through something rough, what does Paul say? He says, rejoice. Talk about otherworldly thinking. Should, Should we really rejoice during afflictions? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell where he might be executed soon. And he is applying this in his own life. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Rejoicing in the Lord is not a luxury. It's a necessity In verse 5, Paul continues, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That phrase there, the Lord is at hand, it's just two words in Greek. It simply says, uh, the Lord's nearby. The Lord's nearby. Do you have a sense of His presence? His nearness causes us to rejoice. His nearness affects our humility. It affects our gentleness. You saw what happened when Isaiah, when you look at Isaiah 6, what happens when you're in the presence of God? There's a certain amount of humility that happens, isn't there? His nearness calms anxiety. It quiets Our fears. Jesus is alive. He is a resurrected Savior and He is alive and near. And listen, He couldn't be more interested in you. He couldn't be more interested in you. He's listening. He is listening. He is present. Paul says, the Lord is nearby, and he continues in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Now listen, it doesn't make for good English. But if you translate this phrase that Paul uses there literally, Paul says, stop worrying about anything. Stop worrying about anything. So so stop worrying. Don't worry about anything. But Paul here, he's simply echoing the teaching of Jesus, isn't he? Jesus said, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. He says it three times in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Christians are called to walk with a certain God-given peace regardless of their circumstances. Here's the question, right? How? How? It's easy to say how. How am I supposed to do it? Verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you want peace? Do you need peace? Are you burdened with fear and anxiety? Verse 6 says, If you're in need of peace, come before God and lay out your cares and anxieties before him. Do it loudly. Come before him. Get your concerns, your anxieties. Put them out and spread them all out before him. Shine a bright light on all of them. right in his presence. Leave nothing out. Do you remember King Hezekiah doing this in 2 Kings 19? The king of Assyria comes to the king of Uh, to King Hezekiah there in Judah and he surrounds the city with a gigantic army and then he sends in a letter to King Hezekiah and this letter essentially says, surrender, give up, or we're going to come in and we're going to destroy this entire place. Hezekiah is in uh, no shape to fight the king of Assyria. Uh, he, He can't do it. So instead, he takes this letter that he was sent by the king of Assyria. He takes this letter and he brings it to the temple. And he gets down on his knees and he gets the letter. And he spreads it all out before God. And he comes to him. And he prays with earnestness and humility and desperation. And what happened? The Lord came to his aid, didn't he? Why did God give us that story? It's not for nothing. It's to tell us that we might know and that we'll remember. I come to your aid. He gives us these stories over and over and over again. Come to me. Come to me in prayer. Christians are called to be people of prayer. And the root of our prayer should be Humble recognition that you enjoy the smiles of God because of what Jesus has done for you in the gospel. Therefore, you ought to come before God with reverence and humility and gratitude. You ought to seek God's favor and ascribe glory to His name. You should adore Him and you should acknowledge His goodness. And you should bring your requests which reflect every possible cause for anxiety and cast them before God and declare your absolute dependence upon him. And verse seven promises the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you place your troubles at the Lord's feet, uh, he blesses you with his peace. It's a divine peace, a divine peace that defies reason. It's God's own peace, which guards your heart and mind, like a garrison of soldiers. I'm friends with a fairly recent convert and the Lord saved this person from a very self-destructive lifestyle, even, even by the world's standards. And therefore, uh, this person, as they're trying to rebuild their life now in Christ, there's a certain amount of wreckage that they have to deal with uh, from their past. There's just no way around it. And so this person reached out to me, and to uh, others and asked for prayer because they were applying for an apartment and they know that this is going to happen. They're going to do a background check. And then there's going to be, they just want to get there. They just want to walk in righteousness now. You know, the lights are on. They're born again. But again, there's this wreckage. So we prayed for them. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And I got a message from the person a couple of days later and said this, I didn't get accepted. Praise God, because I know you all prayed that God would do whatever is best for me, and God's plan is what prevails. So I'm happy that regardless of what I think is good, God's sovereign plan is better. You see, God provided this young believer with peace. Peace. Peace that defies logic. Peace that the world can't understand. Peace that surpasses understanding. Peace that's given regardless of whether specific requests are granted or not. Peace that's grounded in the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Is peace escaping you? You'll capture it in prayer. And this passage says you can gain peace through meditation. So that's our third heading, what we'll look at next. Gain peace through meditation. Paul has been giving the Philippians instructions throughout this letter because he wants them to grow in grace. You'll remember that. He keeps telling them, to hold on to what they have, uh, to, to stand. He wants them to be strong. He wants to see them uh, grow in maturity so that they'll be enabled to weather the storms of this life. All these things that they're facing, doctrinal challenges, internal division, uh, oppression from the outside there in Philippi. And part of that equipping of the church to deal with discord from within is educating them on how to feed their own souls. To counter the conflict between Eodia and Syntyche, Paul told the Philippians that they would experience the peace of God if they would be reasonable, right? If they would be reasonable with one another and if they would bring their cares and concerns before the Lord in prayer but he also wants their hearts and their minds to be transformed. So he gives them instructions on how to grow in greater Christ-likeness. If the church is to experience peace, its members must bear the fruit of the Spirit, right? And your outward conduct reflects what's going on in your heart. You hear that? Your outward conduct reflects what's going on on the inside. Every spring, you mulch your trees and your flower beds, right? Why? Because if you want your trees and your flower beds to thrive, you need to feed them, right? You need to care for them. And the same is true with your soul you need to guard your heart and provide it with the nourishment it needs to thrive. What are you feeding your soul through your eyes and through your ears? That's a real question. What are you feeding your soul through your eyes and ears? What are you meditating on? In verse 8, Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In the section, do you remember, in the section just before this, Paul told you what you shouldn't think about. Do you remember that? In chapter Three, verse 13. Remember Paul is talking about a runner and he says a runner never looks back over his shoulder, right? He might trip and fall and and find himself disqualified uh, from the race. He said, don't dwell on the past. Let it go. But here now Paul wants you to remember. He, He wants you to actually engage your mind. He's not telling you what to forget about. He's telling you what to think about He wants you to meditate. Why? Because there is a spiritual war taking place for the control of your heart and the battle is taking place in your mind. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? There is a spiritual war taking place for control of your heart and the battle is taking place in your mind. Every thought is like another skirmish that affects your heart. The Bible says that you must take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Paul points the Philippians to six things he wants them to think about, and then he summarizes them as excellent and worthy of praise. He begins by saying, think about whatever is true Contemplate Christ and the word and the gospel. Think about the created order and dwell on what's genuine and what's correct. Reject irrational thinking and what's false. Marinate your thoughts on things that are honorable. That Greek word translated as honorable could also be translated as, as dignified. Focus on whatever is dignified and noble and honorable and aspire to these things. Dwell on things that are just. What is good and right and just? It's defined by God's character. And it's reflected in the Ten Commandments. We see that as we meditate on the law of God. Uh, In the Sunday school, week by week, in the morning, we, we look at the law of God and we say, what is the truth here? And how does that reflect on the character of God? Who is he? What does it say about him? That he's faithful and that he's just and that he's truthful. Ruminate on whatever is pure. This isn't limited to sexual purity, but it extends to all areas of moral purity in thought, speech, and actions. Manage the thoughts you allow in your mind like a security guard who has to watch who's coming in and who's coming out. He's got a certain responsibility not to let vagrants walk around in there. Don't let impure thoughts loiter. Don't be passive. Engage your mind. Flood your mind with things that are lovely. Bask in God's goodness and the beauty of creation. Linger on these things, on things that are morally and aesthetically pleasing. Submerse your thoughts in things that are commendable the kind of conduct that Scripture speaks highly of, like acts of mercy and charity and kindness. Paul says if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Protect your heart and mind by reflecting on things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Desire to embrace and embody them. In verse 9, Paul continues, continues by saying, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, put these things I've told you into practice. Do them, live them. This is what mature Christianity looks like. Paul is no armchair coach, right? He's not someone who's sitting at home on the sofa yelling at his TV and telling the players what they should have done and how they could have done it better. No, Paul presents his life as an example and he says what? Imitate me. In essence, he's saying, imitate me and practice truth and honor and justice and purity Loveliness and rightness. And the God of peace will be with you. You see, noble thoughts are of little value unless they're lived out, unless they're practiced. And what is the reward for putting all of this in practice? It's peace. Look at the end of verse 9. The God of peace will be with you. He will be there walking by your side. You will have a sense of his presence. You'll experience the peace of God. The reward is the God of peace himself. Paul is writing these things to the Philippians because he wants to see their division healed. Uh, he wants them to be at peace. Uh, and specifically, the rift between Iodia and syntike um, it, it's got completely out of hand. He, he wants to see that healed. People are sinners. And when one person sins, others often get hurt. Sin destroys peace. Sin destroys peace in the family and in the church and in society. And sin, of course, destroyed our peace with God. That is why Christ came. Our first point was gain peace through conciliation. Isn't that what Christ did? We were, are we, were we not all at one time? Uh, If we're believers, we are at one time at war with God, whether we realized it or not, our sin separated us from God. That's the whole reason Christ came to mediate between two parties, to bring peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. Peace is only found in him. Peace with God is only found through the cross of Christ. And if you're a Christian, your name is written in the book of life. We saw that earlier in Philippians 4.3. And because of Jesus' faithfulness, he has been given a name which is above every name. We saw that in Philippians 2.9. He's been given all power and authority. And therefore, it's Jesus who's going to come alongside of you, guarding your heart and guarding your mind. And it's the Spirit of Christ that abides in you. He walks with you and accompanies you. Are you in need of peace? Be gentle and reasonable with one another. Be a peacemaker and be a prayer warrior. Spread your anxieties before the Lord in prayer. Meditate on what is excellent and worthy of praise and implement these things in every aspect of your life. Gain peace through conciliation, supplication, and meditation. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Let's pray. God, what peace would we have without you? Uh, Is your word not like a shield to us, a tower? Are you not a rock? Lord, we hide in you. We can see why you use all of this imagery. Lord, we are such a weak and finite people. Each one of us, we want to be strong, but Lord, we are weak, and we need you. You know how we need peace. Each one of us, Lord, we pray um, as we sit and we each think of how these things we've heard from your word tonight impact each each of our own lives. Lord, you know the needs. We think of uh, families amongst us that are hurting and in need of peace. Lord, we would ask that you would bring peace. We would ask that you would make us peacemakers. We'd ask, Lord, that you would change hearts, that you would bring healing, that you would bring unity, that you would bring a family that glorifies uh, you, that is a picture of unity and love. Lord, we need peace in our church. Lord, we'd lift ourselves to you. We'd lift our presbytery to you. We'd lift our denomination to you. We'd ask the same thing. Lord, would you bring us peace? Would you help us to be reasonable and peacemakers? Would you help us to be people of prayer? Would you help us to think about what is good and right and just and implement these things? And Lord, would you help us to be faithful in pointing the world to your word and the truth contained in it, that it might know true peace, long and lasting peace, a peace that only the Prince of Peace can give. Uh, Lord Jesus, we would lift ourselves to you and all of these prayers in your name, asking that you would do your holy will, and we'd ask these uh, things for your glory. Amen.